Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. And we are continuing our series called Playlists. And what we're learning in this series is that the book of Psalms is really just a book of songs for our lives. That it's God's divine playlist for our lives. And so just as you would have a playlist for maybe when you would have date night, you know, maybe you want to feel romantic and you put on that, that music, that playlist to, to kind of maybe take you back or to remind you of, a, of another time in your life. You know, you might have that playlist or maybe for you, it's when you work out. You want to feel like Rocky. You feel like you could take on the world. And so you've got that workout playlist, you know, God has a playlist for our lives. And it is the book of Psalms because it's a book of songs written just for us. And it describes every kind of human emotion. It can describe stress, anxiety, fear, depression, but it also can describe at the same moment joy, gladness, happiness, thankfulness. And so really the book of Psalms is, is something very near and dear to us and it can resonate a lot with us. Even I was thinking this week about psalm, psalms resonating with us. I thought about songs that resonate with us as well. They're songs that move us. And, um, you know, scientists have been studying for years how songs can move us or resonate with us. I mean, I remember in high school doing a project about a, a plant and can music uh, affect a plant and how it grows and how it moves. And, and scientists have been saying that our brains get dopamine um, when we hear music. It can change our moods, change our perspectives. It can give us chills. And so music has this ability to really resonate with us. And I did some research on some songs that resonate with us. And, and some of the songs I found was, um, one of them was Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. I don't know if you remember that 1992 song, um, but that one really can resonate with a lot of people because it was written at a time when uh, he lost his son tragically. And then, of course, this isn't written by Johnny Cash, but this is a song that he sang that resonates a lot with us, and it's Hurt. And, um, and that's a song because if you know his life, if you know his story, that came at a very profound time in his life. And so for a lot of us, that song resonates with us. Or maybe for you, it's the song Hallelujah um, by Leonard Cohen. A lot of you may know that song. I mean, it was in Shrek. It's been remixed over and over and over again. And, and so it's a great song. It resonates with us. One song I do not understand is My Immortal by Evanescence. I don't get why that song is on there. Like to me, that's never really like resounded much in me, but maybe for you that is a song. But you know, we have ideas, we have songs that just kind of resonate with us, stir us into emotions and feelings. And, and we have those, those feelings and those desires. And today we're going to be looking at a psalm that is personally one of my favorite songs, psalms. And I believe it's a psalm that resonates with a lot of us. It can stir our emotions, and it's Psalm 51. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51 today. Now, one song I did not mention that really is popular, that resonates with a lot of people, and that is a song by Michael Jackson. Okay? You ready? Anybody want to take a guess? I'm willing Man in the mirror. That's it. That's, that's, that's exactly right. That is the song that has resonated the most with people. Now, the reason why I didn't, I didn't mention that, because that's the title of today's message. I feel like it's very fitting for today as we look at Psalm 51. It's called Man in the Mirror. Now, Psalm 51 was uh, written at a time uh, in David's life that was a very low moment in his life. And so kind of as a, a way to navigate us through today and this message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of Psalm 51. And then we're going to discuss and observe some things there. And then um, I'll talk a little bit about David's life. 
And then I'll have one idea, one point for us today as, we, um, are, as, as a way to ap- uh, apply this psalm and what uh, this psalm is about and why it's in the book of Psalms to begin with. So Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered to your altar. There are portions of Psalm 51 that really can resonate with us. As we read this, a lot of times, I think a lot of us have either said those words or have expressed these thoughts before. Now, I I hear from people oftentimes, they'll go, man, the Bible just kind of seems boring. And sometimes I think it's because we're not reading it the right way. Sometimes I think we're missing the emotion and the heart behind what is going on. Because when you read this, it's not bland, it's not monotone. There is a lot of feeling, there is a lot of emotion going on in Psalm 51. In fact, I like to think David, he's writing this psalm, he's writing this prayer, and I like to think that tears are filling his eyes. That as he starts writing the first few words of the psalm, it's starting to wet the page. Because he realizes his sin, he realizes what he's done. He realizes how he separated himself from God. So I believe there's a lot of emotion going on here. I mean, you can even look at verse three, the way he starts. It's almost like he's like, God, I am staring right at my sin. I can't believe how far my sin has taken me. I think for a lot of us, we could feel that same way. We've probably felt the same way that David feels in verse three. But then like even verses nine, 10, 11, and 12, those are things that I've prayed when I'm having time of confession with the Lord. When I'm confessing my sins to him, I'm like, God, would you blot out my sins? Would you turn away and not look at my sins? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Don't cast me away from your presence. 
Verse 13 to me is, is really an interesting verse because it's kind of discipleship there. He's like, hey, God, let me teach people what not to do so that they're better set up in life than I was. Help me to help them avoid the mistakes that I have made. But a lot of Psalm 51 resonates with us. And the reason why is because how often have we just cried out to God and we said, God, forgive me. God, take away the sin. Take away this shame. Cleanse me. Heal me. Renew me. So what brought David to the point where he needed to write Psalm 51? I mean, he's known as a, as a man after God's own heart. What's it, what gets him to the point where he needs to pray this prayer before God? And why does this psalm resonate so much with us? See, I think to get a full understanding of the power and the impact of this psalm, for us to understand why it is even included in the 150 psalms that we have in our Bibles, it's important for us to understand the background of this psalm, why it was written, what got David to this place, to write these words. Now, if you've been to church for any length of time, you know the background of this. But just so we're all on the same page, I'm going to summarize the story. But I would encourage you to later read it. It's uh, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. That's where the story is found, but I'll summarize it here. And the story starts with David gathering his military together. He's bringing them all together, and then he's ready to send them off to fight the Ammonites. But there's a problem with all of this. David didn't go with the army. Instead, he's hanging back, kicking it in the palace. For many of us, we could hear that and we go, well, why is that a problem? Like, why is that such a big deal? Well, see, if you were a king at this time, you would go off to battle with your army because you were willing to die for the cause that you believed in. And that's why for kings, it was so important for them to have sons because they wanted them to carry on their work, carry on their lineage, carry on with the kingdom. But here's David in his older age. He's becoming one of the most powerful people on the planet at this known time. And David just kind of is like, well, you know what? I'm not going to go to war. Forget that. Who's going to lead the nation if the military's out? Who's going to lead the country if we get attacked? And so David does an unking-like thing, and he stays back while his military goes off to war. So the story continues. David can't get any sleep, so he's kind of pacing back and forth and I like to think that maybe it's because he knows he should be off at battle. He knows he should be with his men off at war, but he's not. So he kind of opens up the doors to his balcony and he's overlooking the kingdom. And what does he see? He sees a woman bathing. Now we know that this woman is Bathsheba. And here's what we need to understand about Bathsheba. She was not bathing uh, at her house on the patio, hoping that another man would find her and take her. That's not the case at all. Bathsheba was in her private upstairs bathroom. And the reason why, according to 2 Samuel 11, was because she was going through a ritualistic purification process because she recently just had her menstrual cycle. And because she was a Jewish woman, because she was following, following the Levitical law, she wanted to purify herself after going through it. But here's King David the one who's supposed to be off at war with his military, he's perched up in his palace. And he's looking at Bathsheba. And in his heart, instead of longing for the things that God wants him to long for, instead of loving the things that God wants him to love, there's a longing and a love that creeps up in his own heart. 
that self-seeking. And he looks at Bathsheba and he goes, I want that woman. And so his men go and they're like, hey, the king wants you. So Bathsheba follows the soldiers. And David and Bathsheba, they end up having sex. He sends her off. And now the longings and love in his life are now satisfied. Now, a couple months later, the war's still going on, and he gets word from Bathsheba that, hey, I'm pregnant. Now, this isn't good news for David. And so now David has to go through this process of trying to cover up his sin, cover up his tracks. He's like, if, if when Bathsheba has this baby, people are going to know that I'm the father, and my sin is going to be exposed. And so he comes up with plan A. He's like, hey, guys, bring Uriah back to me. And Uriah comes, he's like, Uriah, have a little R&R. Like, you've done such a good job. Like, why don't you go and, and sleep with your wife, you know, do what married couples do. And his hope is that then Bathsheba, when she has the child, will go, well, this is my husband Uriah's child. But that doesn't work. Uriah goes, how could I sleep with my wife while all my men are at battle? It's interesting because Uriah has more integrity than David does here. So, plan B. David goes even lower. He's like, well, I'm going to get this guy drunk. And when he's nice and drunk, I'll send him off back to his home. And, you know, married couples will do what married couples do. And I'll be fine. But even that doesn't work. Time for plan C. In desperation, David knowing that he's going to get caught when Bathsheba has this child, he brings his commanders together and he says, hey, send Uriah back to the, back to the uh, battle. But don't send him in the back as a commander. Send him right to the front lines. Because David knows that when he goes to the front lines, Uriah will be killed. And when Uriah is killed, David will look like this knight in shining armor. He'll swoop in. He'll marry this lowly widow named Bathsheba, and then they'll have this child. That's David's plan. He successfully kills Uriah, and he marries Bathsheba. Now, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. But what we see in the story is that David is a man after his own heart, his own lusts, his own desires, and his own love. Now, two years have kind of passed by, and David might have thought, well, you know, everything seems to be fine. No one seems to know. No one seems to care right now. You know, I'm good to go. No one seems to mind that I've done any of this. Everything must be fine. But there's a problem, because God knows and God sees everything. God knows when the hearts of his people are wicked. And God knows when the hearts of his people are holy. See, when you sin, whether someone sees it or not, God knows and God sees. God knows what David did. And he knows he needs to hold David accountable for his sins. Because David is not just some man. He's a representation of God's people. And God holds his people to an account. God holds his church to an account. God holds you and me to an account. Why? Because God loves and God cares. God's like, David, I need you to come back to me. God loves David too much to just let him stay in his sin. And the same is true for us. God's not just going to let us stay in our sin. He loves us too much. God knows. God cares. God loves us. And so what he will do is he will bring conviction. He'll bring people. He'll do things in our lives to bring us back to him today. And maybe you're here today. And the whole point of this message 
is for God to do that very thing. God is going to use his word, David's life, to bring you back to him, to bring you back to that right relationship, for you to see your sin, to see how far you've gone. And God is going to use this to pull you back because he loves you too much to let you just stay in your sin. And so the way that God's going to confront and and bring David back to him is through a prophet named Nathan. Now, can you imagine being Nathan for just a second? Like, I mean, put yourself in his sandals. This is kind of a very intimidating thing for him to do. That would be like you confronting your boss or you confronting someone in authority over you. Now, Nathan knows everything that David's done. And he's probably like, I'm supposed to confront this guy. Like this guy murders people just to cover up his tracks. So so Nathan's probably like, if I confront David, he might want to fight me. He might want to kill me. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. But Nathan kind of tells David a parable, a story about a family who has the sweet little lamb. And it kind of almost feels like a nursery rhyme at first. But this family loves this lamb. And then this mean guy comes along and he steals this lamb and he takes it for himself. And when David hears this story, he's just so upset by the injustice of this story. He's so angry. He's so just mad at this family who lost their lamb. And he's like, man, this guy should be put to death. And Nathan looks at David with these penetrating words. And he says, David, you're the man. You're the guy in this story. Nathan wanted David to see the man in the mirror. Now, there's a number of ways that David could have responded to this. David could have gotten defensive with Nathan. David could have denied it. David could have gotten upset or even made excuses. David could have done all of those things, but he didn't do those things. Instead, he received it and he was broken by it. He feels the weight of what he's done. He realizes what his sin has caused. He realizes that he's separated from God. And that's why I like to think when he's starting to write Psalm 51 with tears in his eyes, the page getting wet, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Forgive me of my sins and the things that I have done. I alone am the one who've done these things. I'm not a victim of sin. I chose to do these things. I chose to sleep with Bathsheba. I chose to kill Uriah. I chose those things. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is staring at me in the face because against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David, I believe, is feeling the weight. He he understands the despair in all of the brokenness. And he writes Psalm 51. And the question we need to ask ourselves today as we've read this passage, as we've looked at the life of David, We need to ask ourselves, what makes a person who says that they love God, that they follow God, get to the point where Psalm 51 resonates so much with us? And maybe you're here today and you're like, I haven't sinned like David has. I haven't committed adultery. So how does this apply to me? But we've all sinned. Your sin may not look like David's, but maybe for you it's anger. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's that you're verbally abusive to your wife or to your kids. Or as the wife, maybe you're verbally abusive to your husband and to your kids. Maybe you've just cheated on a test. 
Maybe you're lying. Your sin may not look like David, but we have all felt the sickness of sin before. So what leads us to the point where we do something with such foolishness that brings so much despair and conviction? The answer to what leads a person to sin in the ways that we do, it's our desires. See, our desires will either lead us toward God or toward sin. And that's our one and big point today. The main idea I want to leave you with today, that our desires will either lead us toward God or toward sin. Why do you sin? Your desires. Why do you obey God? Your desires. Why do you want to run toward the things of this world and not towards the kingdom of God? Your desires. Paul in Romans chapter 7, I like to think that maybe he was reminded of David when he wrote, there is a war going on inside of me because I really want to do what's good, but I don't do it. I do the very thing that I hate. There's a constant battle, a constant war going on inside of him. And the same is true with David and the same is true for you today. There is a constant war. Will your desires lead you toward God or lead you toward sin? So how do we avoid the sin in our life? How do we avoid the shame that David felt? I believe the answer is rooted in either our love for God or our lack of love for God. See, if we have a lack of love for God, our desires will lead us to sin, just like David. There will be longings and loves that will fill our hearts that shouldn't be there, just like David when he saw Bathsheba. But if we have a love for God, that should lead us to pursue lives of holiness. Love is the key to finding true freedom and forgiveness. There's a lot of definitions of love out there. The world has a lot of definitions of love, and they're all terrible, and they're not biblical. I mean, speaking of music, I mean, I'll get this goofy song stuck in your head. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? Like, and you're welcome for that song being stuck in your head right now, but that's that song. It's even asking, what is this love? I hope it doesn't hurt me. Our world has no idea what love is, but thankfully Jesus boiled it down for us in John chapter 14. John 14, verse 21, it says, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Skipping down to verse 23, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. What does it mean to live in a right relationship with God? It means loving God through obedience. Jesus knew that love was at the root of all of your faithfulness. Jesus is saying that if you want to be faithful people who pursue uh, pure and holy lives, love for God has to be the center of your life. Love for God has to be the foundation. But if you have a lack of love for God, a love that's self-oriented, you'll give in to your sin nature and pursue what you want. And Jesus knows that that kind of life will lead you to sinfulness, shame, guilt, the very things that David is feeling and expressing in Psalm 51. Our desires will either lead us toward God or toward sin. Why did David take Bathsheba? Why did David sleep with Bathsheba? Why did he destroy her life? Why did he cover up his tracks? Why did he have Uriah murdered? 
because he stopped loving God and he gave into his own desires. David didn't hate God. He just loved something more than God. Why do we stray from God and move towards sin? Because we desire something more than God. We desire our sexual freedom more than we actually love God. We desire our wealth more than we love God. We desire power more than we love God. We care about our identity, our freedoms, our rights, our demands. We desire other things than we love God. And when we desire our sin, that's the reason why Psalm 51 can resonate so much with us. But if we define love the way that Jesus defines love, which is love is obedience toward God. That love is self-sacrificial, denying yourself, picking up your cross, following Jesus, saying that that it's not about my desires, but I'm going to put other people before me. If we define love as Jesus, listening to what his demands are and his expectations, which is to love God and love others, Matthew 22, that becomes our standard. When we're pursuing that type of love, we begin to realize that being near to God is possible, And being away from sin is possible. Our desires will lead us toward God or toward sin. And maybe you're here today and you realize that your desires have led you toward sin. And just like David in verse 3, you're like, man, I am staring right at my sins. I'm staring that my sins are ever present before my eyes. I see everything that I've done. I want to remind you of this today. That Jesus redeems that Jesus saves, that Jesus forgives, and that Jesus loves you. But he loves you far too much to just leave you in your sin. God loved David just as he was in that moment when he sinned. But God looked at David and was like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with you, boy. (laughs) And God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. And God's going to speak to you. He's going to release his Holy Spirit and there's going to be conviction. You're going to see your sin and you're going to go, how did my sin take me this far? I can't believe I'm this far. And you're going to feel convicted. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel condemned. You might even think, well, I'm not worthy, but that's not the case at all. It's because God has something better in mind for you, has something better in store for you. God wants you to grow. God wants you to experience life. God wants you to experience his love and what a life with him is like. See, I've said it before and I'll say it again. God's discipline isn't to pay us back. It's to bring us back. God's discipline isn't to pay you back like, yes, I finally get this opportunity to get this guy. It's to bring you back. The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. And so if you're feeling some conviction, if you're feeling something inside of you, be encouraged. That's God trying to bring you back to a relationship with him. You were created to have a relationship with the Father. And so lean into that conviction, repent of those sins, and turn to Jesus. But then look at verse 16. I want to close with this. It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What David is getting at is that the sacrifice that God is looking for is not animal uh, sacrifices, but it it is the spirit of humility. God will not reject the broken, the humble. 
God never looks at you in your sin and goes, I can't handle that sin. No, that's not the case at all. If you repent and you're humble, God's like, come to me just as you are, and I will never reject that. See, this week as I was studying, it, it reminded me of fishing with my grandpa. Now, I was homeschooled, so I got to do this a lot. Um, but, uh, but I remember this one time in particular. And uh, my grandpa had an RV, and we attached the boat to it, and we drove up to a lake, and we fished all day. And we came back, and he wanted to rest. But, you know, me being in elementary school, the day was young. There's still lots of fishing to be done. So I asked him, can I go on the shoreline and just fish right there? He said, sure. So he got the hook ready, he got the line ready, put the bait on and all that, and I walked down to the shoreline. I went for my very first cast, and I threw it out there. But for some reason, I don't know why, maybe I didn't get the little button thing right, or you know, something got snagged in the line, it came right on back and hooked me right in the wrist. And let me tell you, it got me good. I started bleeding. I started freaking out. I'm tugging at this thing. Like, to be honest, I could still close my eyes and I could still see that hook in my wrist, like all the veins and all the grossness that goes along with it. Like, it was disgusting. (laughs) Now, let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go, oh, would you look at that? I hooked myself. Grandfather, (laughs) would you come and help me in this moment? It's not what I did at all. I cried. I yelled. I screamed. I was like, I hooked myself. And in my crying and my screaming, my grandpa runs with that kind of grandpa run. And he comes and he kneels down and he's cleaning me up. He's fixing me up. He's comforting me. He's helping me. I want you to know something today. I believe as I was reading that, that is a reminder for us today. As some of us, we have a hook in our hearts. There are some things that we're just snagged up on. And the question we need to ask ourselves in light of Psalm 51, in light of David's story, is do we love God or do we desire our sin more? Do we love Jesus with all of who we are, with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our beings, all that we are? Or do we love the things of this world more? Do we love money more? Do we love sex more? Do we love power more? Do we love binging things more? Do we love ourselves more? Or do we love God above everything else? Is there a hook of sin in your life today? Are you snagged up on something? Our response shouldn't be, oh, would you look at that? There's some sin in my life. Our response should be to cry out to our Heavenly Father. And when we cry out to our Heavenly Father, He will come to us and He'll cleanse us. He'll create in us a clean heart. He'll renew a right spirit within us. He'll restore the joy of our salvation. He will blot out our sins with Jesus' blood. But it starts with humility and saying, God, there's sin in my life. Would you take care of it for me? And confessing that and turning to Jesus. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.